Pastor Xavier Reese and the purpose of trials. Often, if we look back after a trial and examine our thoughts and emotions, it will reveal our lack of wholehearted commitment to His sovereign will. We see that we weren't as committed as we told everyone we were, even as much as we thought we were. And God does this to draw us closer to Himself. Trust Him. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Are you ready to die? That could be a startling thought and difficult question to answer if you don't fully understand the sovereignty of God. Today, Pastor Xavier takes us into the heart of a man who pleaded for an extension on his life policy. Find out what happens as today's message begins. Isaiah chapter 38. We're going to look at the entire chapter. And the message is entitled, The Perfect Will of God. Hezekiah received news of his illness, but also of his, that he was going to die from this illness. And here the, the word is given to us and is recorded in these three movements. Verse 1 through 8, the news of the extended life of Hezekiah, which was expressed through the proclamation of God, is the first movement. Then secondly, verse 9 through 14, the news of death to Hezekiah, which was expressed through lamentation to God. And then verse 15 through 20, the news of life to Hezekiah, which was expressed through an appreciation of God. The prophet Isaiah was sent to King Hezekiah, who had been taken ill. He was told by Isaiah to set his house in order, for he was going to die and not live. In verse 3, Notice first, he turns his face to the wall to pray to the Lord. Now, some think that he was simply just seeking the Lord with all his heart, while others think that he was pouting and sulking. I believe he was pouting and sulking, and I believe the internal evidence will show us that as we move along. Notice his prayer is recorded for us. He petitions God to remember how he had walked before him in truth. Hezekiah had brought about spiritual reform. If you read 2 Kings 18, 4 through 7, great spiritual reform. So he had done some good works. And Hezekiah had torn down, as you know, the altars of, of the pagan altars and, and, and turned many to the worship of Yahweh. And so God understood these things, but here he's rehearsing them to him. Notice he wept bitterly. The prayer would seem to reveal by the content that he was implying that he deserved not to die due to his obedience, faithfulness, and righteousness. Isn't that how we are? When something happens and, and our wife says, well, you know, you, you did, wait, I was doing this for you. I've done this, I've done that. We always point to our works to try to excuse our disobedience or our slothfulness or whatever it is. That's our sin nature. That's built in. That's a defense mechanism through our fallen nature. The prayer from its content would seem to indicate that he was sulking. And he's saying, Lord, but I've done this, I've done that, as if God owed him something. You ever been there? Nah, none of us have. <laughs> God would add to his life, what? 15 years, he says. Now, at this point, verse 21 is interesting of the chapter, and it fits right here. Isaiah recommended a fig remedy for Hezekiah's healing. I'm sure at the direction of God. 
Now Hezekiah's reign is going to be doubled. Fourteenth year. Fifteen more years are added to his kingdom. Notice in verse 6. God guaranteed the deliverance of both himself and the city. The defense was from the king of Assyria, which God had promised repeatedly over and over and over again. He did it in the beginning of 37. He does it at the end of 37, verse 33 and 34. He speaks about it. He would defend the city uh, again in verse 35. He's constantly doing this, and way before this chapter. So this was already prophesied beforehand. He reaffirms it again. Not only am I going to heal you, but I'm still going to deliver you and the city. The news of the extended life of Hezekiah was expressed through the proclamation of God. Notice that. Now notice secondly, the news of death to Hezekiah, which was expressed through lamentation to God. Notice first in verse 9, the account is when King Hezekiah was sick near death and received news of his recovery. The writing is called a psalm. A psalm is about his grief in a very poetical manner. It is believed that he was about 38 years old with the 14th year of his reign. And Hezekiah, in retrospect, looks back to his lamentation through introspection as he faced the prospect of death. He's looking back as he looked in. And he's recording what he thought, how he felt, what he went through. Often, if we look back after a trial and examine our thoughts and emotions, when God has tried us, it will reveal our lack of wholehearted commitment to his sovereign will, your pastor included. We see that we weren't as committed as we told everyone we were, even as much as we thought we were. And God does this to draw us closer to himself, to trust him more. Now notice secondly in verse 10, Hezekiah at the time thought he was being deprived of the remainder of his years being in the prime of his life. His first mistake was thinking he knew when the prime of his life was. Only God knows. See, we say, well, a man's prime of his life, you know, 45, 40 to 55, you know, he's got experience, he's got this and that. But your prime of your life, if you're 18, maybe 21 to 25, because the Lord's going to take you home at 26. You don't know what the prime of your life is. God does. Second mistake was to think he was being deprived of the remainder of his life. It wasn't his life. You've been bought with a price. My life's not my own. I'm not supposed to live for myself. I'm supposed to remind myself of that. This is the wrong assumption here. He's involved emotionally. He's thinking of self. We don't want to belittle the illness. We don't want to belittle the tragedy. But we have to look at the reality. This is recorded for our learning. When you're sick, you are down spiritually. So don't trust your feelings, emotions, or situation. You trust the Word of God. You turn to the word of God. Notice thirdly in verse 11, Hezekiah at, the, at, at, at that time pouted that he would no longer be see Jehovah, Yah, through the limited relationship here on earth and man in, a, in this physical world. His relatives, his friends, this and that. We start thinking. Now that's a legitimate aspect, but it, it, it's not the whole picture. 
And it's a good evidence because we meet, it shows us that we do love people and, and we value life, and then that's fine. But if I'm just stuck there, it's wrong. His mistake was in valuing the temporal more than the eternal abode. The second mistake was in being earthbound more than heavenly bound. Hezekiah at the time thought his death was too sudden and perhaps even unfair, describing it in poetical words. He said, my lifespan is gone, taken from me like a shepherd's tent. That's a great picture. <laughs> Paul uses the same 2 Corinthians 5. He said, I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. All done, tomb. Next. He said, from day until night, you make an end of me. All of the three expressions describe a shortness of life and suddenness of death, but perhaps also, in view of the context, unfairness on God's part. There are believers who things happen. They say, why, God? Why did you allow this? They become bitter. Why did you let this? Why didn't you stop it? Why me? Why now? And they never move on from that. They're focused on self. God has brought you to this place to make you more like him and less like you and align you with his will, not your own. Let me tell you something. If you are walking with God, your life will never end up the way you planned it. God will mess your life up. Better yet, he'll mess your plans up. <laughs> Notice fifthly in verse 13. Hezekiah expresses his grief, his grievous nights of emotional devastation. I think we'll all be able to identify here. We've all been there one time or another. He was unable to sleep, being awake and contemplating. I have considered until morning. Hate those nights, don't you? He attributed the illness as a direct hand of God, like a lion, so he breaks all my bones from day until night. You make an end of me. He knew God's hand was on him. Notice here lastly, verse 14. Hezekiah was brought to the end of himself. This is always good. His complaint was grievous and mournful as a crane or swallow in sleepless nights, mourning like a dove. Another picturesque picture here. Whining all night, tossing and turning, trying to figure it out, rehearsing it over and over and over again. His confident pride and self-sufficiency was broken. His eyes failed from looking upward. Now, if you're a parent, you know, you speak to your children, and if you busted them in something, they don't look in your eyes and say, yeah, Dad, I did it, so what? You want a piece of me? Yeah. They don't say that. But when you confront them, they go, well, yeah. They don't look up. Let me suggest from the whole context and also here that Hezekiah was on hot water with God. This is not just normal illness. This is not just happenstance, okay? 1 Corinthians 11 tells us, Paul says some of you are sick, some of you even died because you're not right with God. Notice his conclusion was to trust God. Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. Literally, Lord, be 
my surety. That's what God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves every time. Each of our lives are short, and tomorrow is promised to no person. James tells us in James 4.14, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is a vapor of smoke that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Isn't that true? No one is promised tomorrow. We have no idea. Because we're young, we automatically think that we're going to live tomorrow. Not so. Not so. Satan's trick in your flesh and mind is to say, oh, I'm going to live here for the rest of my life. No, a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. 1 Peter 1, 6-8. In other words, what's going to keep you trusting in him is your love for Jesus. And the reason God allows you and myself to go through those things is that our faith be purified and it comes to his glory. It's for his glory. Hezekiah is not concerned with the glory of God at this point. He's caught up with himself. Pride and humility are enemies of each other. And our thoughts towards God in difficult times say much about us. God doesn't know us anything. God has not ripped us off. He had died for us. He's redeemed us. He is for us, not against us. I have to walk in the Spirit. The news of death to Hezekiah was expressed through lamentation to God. It reveals his heart. Now notice thirdly, the news of life to Hezekiah, which was expressed through his appreciation of God now. This is the flip side of the coin. He's received the news now. We just examined when he didn't have the news. He's bummed. Hezekiah now, in his expectation of life, looks to the future, expressing his attitude now. Notice first in verse 15. Hezekiah acknowledged God's healing as well as his responsibility to walk with God. What shall I say? He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. His overawe over God is expressed by the words, what shall I say? In other words, God is just so gracious, so good that he just, pfft. the expression is one of being speechless and grateful to God for his healing. Notice his near experience to uh, close to death had caused him to commit his walk with God more carefully all these years. But he qualifies it. Don't miss it. In the bitterness of his soul. Mm. He came to value life more dearly, knowing he had 15 more years and he could have been gone. If you've had a brush with death, you look at life a little different. Hezekiah acknowledges the commonness of man's failure and God's graciousness of restoration. He says, O oh Lord, by these things men live, by God's intervention to deliver man. If it was for God, we'd be dead. By man living with his bitter failure through the grace of God. His grace is sufficient. 
And as we walk with him, we magnify him because of that. Because we know. Then he says, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So he had become a recipient of divine intervention. He himself personally, he would allow his experience to teach him how to live. So you will restore me and make me live. He had been assured by the prophet Isaiah he would continue to be king in Jerusalem. It's settled. Now notice thirdly in verse 17. Hezekiah acknowledged that the illness and bitter experience was in order, listen, to bring him to God. He said, indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. God was dealing with Hezekiah to convict him. God allowed the duration of bitterness in order to bring him to a reconciled relationship with God and have peace with God. God pursues us. God convicts us to bring us to himself to get right. He said, but you have delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. God in his mercy touched him, healed him. He kept him from dying. He said, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. He had confessed his sins to God, once again resulting in what? Peace. The peace of God, peace with God. He says, for Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you. The place of departed spirits, Sheol, is a place for the dead. Sheol is an inanimate place. It doesn't praise God. Death is a penalty of sin. It's an affront to God. He says, those who go down into the pit cannot hope for your truth. You see, truth about God is revealed to the living for the sake of acting upon it before they die. Before they die. Not after they die, but before they die. Truth once you die doesn't help you. Truth in the pit regarding God is only in view of regret having rejected the truth while living. Luke 16, Lazarus the rich man. Oh, Lord, Abraham, have, have him go back. I have five brothers. Hey, they have the scripture, they have Moses. They don't believe them. They won't believe someone comes back from the dead. Truth after you're dead is for all eternity that you might regret. You will regret. Truth must be acted on while you're living if you die without embracing and walking the truth of Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will live for all eternity regretting that you rejected it. He says, the living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. He brings it home. This is the duty and chief end of man, to worship God and enjoy him forever. And then he says, the Father shall make known your truth to the children. Oh, Fathers, be the high priest of your home. Instruct your children well through your life, through the word. Hezekiah at this point, it's interesting, didn't have no children. But Hezekiah begot Manasseh three years after his healing. And he became the most evil king in all of the reign of Israel. He began his reign at 12 years of age, 2 Kings 21.1. Notice verse 20. Last of all, Hezekiah acknowledged God and celebrates him. He called it my song 
He commanded the people to sing it. We will sing. He would do so with string instruments, as many of the psalms. He would do this all the days of their life in the house of the Lord. God's chastening is out of love to bring us to him and to our good sense for our own peace. In fact, Hebrews 12, 6 through 8 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits who lives? Yes. It's a rhetorical question demanding that answer. Don't be like Hezekiah, cantankerous. Oh, God, you know, Lord, I've done this, I've done that. As if he owes you. As if he owes me. As if we earn our salvation. As if God doesn't know the decisions he's making. As if he's going to ask me counsel so he can make a wise decision. The lessons are clear from Hezekiah. God's perfect will is the best. My own can bring devastation to my own life and the life of others. Manasseh was born the most wicked king three years after this. Tradition tells us that he is the one responsible for cutting Isaiah in two with a wooden saw, Hebrews 11.37. Amazing. Most wicked king in Israel that ever lived. Do we learn through the difficult experience of life or do we continue to be selfish in our thing? Do we proclaim and it's only temporary for a while? In Hezekiah's place, I believe it was temporary. Again, if I've been too harsh on Hezekiah, he'll forgive me. He's in heaven. But I'm trying to do my best to look at the text. Let me give you this last little thing. Look at chapter 39, verse 8. This is after the fact. He's healed them. The Babylonian envoys have come. They come to congratulate him, but they got a political agenda. And he's so proudful, he shows them everything in his house. Everything. Isaiah comes back and says, hey, who are these guys? What do they want? What did you show them? I think Hezekiah wanted to make a deal with Babylon to help him with Assyria. And he goes, boasting of all this, and Isaiah says, listen, the day is coming when these guys are going to come. They're going to take everything from your house and your children. They're going to be eunuchs in their kingdom. What is his response to that? Look at verse 8 of chapter 39. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, At least there will be peace and truth in my days. What a rat. Let my kids flip the bill. Hopefully we learn from the experiences of life. But sometimes we don't, do we? The news of life to Hezekiah was expressed through his appreciation to God. But he didn't stay there. He didn't follow up. These are the three movements of the news of Hezekiah about his coming death and his healing. Interesting text. Can I settle for God's permissive will? It would seem to imply that I can if I'm stubborn enough and self-will enough. I don't want my will. I want God's will. 
Why would I want to stick around and mess up what God has done? Now, you're sick, pray. God heals you, we'll rejoice with you. But if he doesn't, then you need to turn to God. He knows best. Pastor Xavier Reese and trusting in the will of God for all things. Today's message, The Perfect Will of God, is available on CD for just $4. And this will also include all that we heard the last time we were together about the life of Hezekiah. So once again, the title to ask for is The Perfect Will of God, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and mention the call letters of this station in your correspondence. This way we can check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Guilt and shame are two things you never have to hang on to if you receive God's greatest gift. Find out more when you tune into the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com